0: And welcome to the second season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Mark Falconer. Mark is a theater director who most recently directed concerts of Oh Brother and Doonesbury at 54 Below. He currently works as the Artistic Associate at Royal Family Productions. We're going to talk today about the musical theater writers Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt. Hey Mark, thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We are gonna get started with our Get to Know Our Guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical?
1: I was born in Alexandria, Virginia, and I lived there until I was about six, I think. My parents had a bedroom at the top of the stairs and there was a TV in it, and I vividly remember seeing the Dream Ballet from the Film version of Oklahoma hmm. on that TV. Uh, so I must have been, you know, six or under, uh, I yeah. was definitely young.
0: What? Is the last great musical is, you saw?
1: Well, I'm going to say Lady in the Dark, which mm-hmm. I saw uh, at City Center when Master Voices did it. Did you? Oh,
0: yeah, no, I didn't see it.
1: But you know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, Victoria Clark was in it, and it was directed and uh, MD'd by Ted Sperling, and it was his um, choir, I was the impetus for it, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, the Master Voices choir. So, the show itself. Is certainly dated, and I don't know if it will ever not be problematic, but I'm gonna say that it is a truly great musical because the. I don't. Are you familiar with the show?
0: I just know kind of the general, like, what it's about. Yeah, it's not a traditional book musical. Oh, okay.
1: It's it's basically a play, and then the main character, Liza Elliott, uh, goes to psychoanalysis and relates her dreams, and each dream is a mini opera. And so, um, there are three 15- to twenty minute minute musical chunks yeah. in the score that are just fantastic. It's yeah. it's an incredibly good score. It it when you're watching those scenes, right. it feels bracingly modern still, even with Ira Gershwin's relatively corny lyrics. Like mm-hmm. he's nobody's top lyricist, of course, but yeah. um, it just the way that the M- the music uh, is used in the story it feels so still new and fresh mm-hmm. even in 2019 so Liza Elliott is this um, magazine editor, she's the boss mm-hmm. um, she, it's, it's like a cosmopolitan magazine and she's the editor and um, so she's currently in a relationship with the magazine's owner mm-hmm. Kendall Nesbitt who basically bought the magazine for her as a gift for her now kendall it is in a relationship with liza they're living together but he still has a wife because his wife won't give him a divorce um the show begins with him saying liza my wife has finally given me a divorce and all of a sudden liza's like i don't know if i want to marry this guy also there's this guy at the magazine who derisively calls her boss lady and uh is generally pretty insubordinate to her in a way that he would not be if she were a man. Mm-hmm. And at one point in the show, almost says something like, uh, "I'm I'm a man. You're a woman. I need to be in charge." I mean, not quite like that, but. Yeah. And then, of course, she's the one that he or he's the one that she has to end up with, mm-hmm. um, because he's her. He's the only one who is the equal to her, and he doesn't want her to mother him or, you know, it, it's. It's a little it's a little dumb. I mean, again, the score is just magnificent and there's not I mean, the book is written by Moss Hart, so like it's not bad writing. It's just very nineteen yeah. forties male centered Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend listening to the Maria Friedman London cast recording. Um, it's available mm-hmm. on J Records, <laughs> free plug for J Records.
0: What older or classic show did you recently see for the first time, and what was your experience with it?
1: Thanks to Encores, I still do get to see shows that I don't know at all. Yeah. I Married an Angel, fascinating show. Because my whole feeling with those types of shows is that I don't necessarily need to go see a bad late 40s, early 50s musical. Because musical theater had kind of coalesced into it, what we think of as musicals nowadays by that point, right? But in the thirties, it was still a little wild, and it, people could just toss off things and do whatever, and mm-hmm. and it wasn't like, well, we all have to ape, you know, Oklahoma or Kiss Me Kate, whether right. we're doing a musical play or a musical comedy. Um, it it was really, uh, and you know, obviously, I'm generalizing here, but. That's what I did find fascinating about I Married an Angel. It it was Rogers and Hart. They wrote the book themselves, oh. and they wrote the score. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm sure that what we saw on Encores was not the entire original book. Right. Um, I'm sure that there were probably some jokes added. Um, the, the book is not great.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I thought that what they did with um, how they used... Song and music in that show was really interesting because the the character of the angel doesn't sing. She was originally played by a ballet dancer.
0: Does she speak? She does. Okay.
1: And it's they've got these just entire little musical scenes where it's like one line is sung and then three rhyming couplets are spoken, and um, that's kind of there are two big scenes with the angel where she doesn't sing at all, but people kind of sing around her in these musical Mm. scenes, and there. Honestly, integrated, you know, obviously very well with the story because it's a scene happening. Right. Um, that said, <laughs> there's also there was also a a moment towards the end of the show. The whole show takes place in like some Eastern European city.
2: Oh wow. um,
1: And at one point, uh, somebody says something like, "Oh, what would you do if you went to New York?" And somebody else says, "I would go to the Roxy Music Hall." And so then there's this entire number about the Roxy Music Hall mm-hmm. and and then we see every, every main character fantasize about what they would do at the Roxy Music Hall. So, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it was honestly a delightful ten-minute sequence, but had absolutely nothing to uh, talk about not integrated at all. Yeah. Like, there was just nothing to do with the plot at all. Yeah. It was fun, though, you know? So, yeah. And, I, you know, honestly, there are lots of musicals written today that are very well integrated, and they are not always fun.
0: What's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised?
1: You know, it's it's interesting, I also was having trouble with this question, so I decided to ask people. <laughs> 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 and somebody said whistle down the wind and I said, I do love whistle down the wind. <laughs> um, so I guess that's a that's as good an answer as any. I I, I do think that I have kind of a reputation mm. for being a snob and not liking, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, but that's not
0: true. I was really interested in this question for you because I know you know, like, so many musicals, but is there a musical that you don't know that you feel like you should know or have seen or why?
1: Well, it's funny that we were talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber because I just recently um, feel like I have to say uh, Sunset Boulevard.
2: Mm.
1: Um, I don't know it at all, but in just in the past... Several weeks, people have been, it's just been around me. Like, people have been singing it and talking about it, and I'm like, yeah. I can't talk about this show. I don't know it.
0: Well, let's move on to our topic, which is the musicals of Schmidt and Jones. Yay. And uh, Harvey Schmidt and
1: Tom Jones. Tom Jones. Uh, this is like the Mark Falconer origin story. <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, I went to Quiz Bowl camp in the summer um, at Southeast Missouri University and I found the book Not Since Carrie in the Mm -hmm. library and uh, uh, my friends were like, Mark, we're going to head back and I was like, I'm going to stay here and read this book. (laughs) And uh, I literally read the whole thing in probably about five hours. Um, Wow. And it was Ken Mandelbaum's description of Celebration that really hooked me.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, How it was this it was it was supposed to be this elemental battle between winter and summer and y- youth and age and innocence and experience and and it just seemed like one of the most conceptually audacious things I'd ever heard of yeah. and um, and also like incredibly pretentious. But I <laughs> I was very pretentious as a teenager and I still like pretentious stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And so I was like, I need to find this album. Well, the album had been released on CD, but it was out of print at that time. So I found it on eBay. That is the CD of Jones and Schmidt that I would listen to over and over in the car Mm. when I was in high school. Mm. I really, really loved it. To give you a little bit of background about what the show's about, Mm -hmm. it stars this narrator named Potemkin. And um, he's kind of a, almost an MC and cabaret type figure. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the storyteller. He's like the omniscient narrator. But he also is like a cynical bum who takes place who takes part of in the story. Mm. Um, and so he has these kind of uh, scene-setting songs, but he also then has character numbers inside the story.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and the story's about an orphan uh, who wants a garden
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he meets this beautiful girl named angel um and falls in love with her angel wants to be somebody she has a whole song called i want to be somebody
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um she meets this man named edgar allen rich who is old but wealthy mm-hmm. and can uh, give her, you know, money and, 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 and make Rich. yes, Edgar Allen <laughs> Rich and make her, you know, somebody and so basically, you know, she has to choose between the orphan and Edgar Allan Rich mm-hmm. uh, and you know y- I, there's no prize for guessing who she eventually goes <laughs> with, but the orphan represents youth and um, innocence and like all of these uh, other elements mm. it, it's not just supposed to be the story about a girl and a boy and an old man like yeah. it's a story about these um, primordial forces at work
2: mm.
1: and the 11 o'clock number is actually called 50 million years ago um, and it's, it kind of traces the history of human evolution with the, the orphan sings it and he's singing you know, nobody ever thought that these amazing things would happen um, and and like nobody knows what will happen with me either. Like I'm the future. He said, one of the lyrics is I'm the future. Please believe in me. Wow. Um, and you know there, I I will say that just to get this out of the way, um, Harvey Smith and Tom Jones are you know two white men who were born in the '30s or '40s, mm-hmm. so they uh, maybe even the '20s. Um, so they uh, they certainly are not you know, proto feminist or anything like that. Yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't think that that really has an impact on how I feel about their work. Right. Um because I aside from obviously that one song in the Fantastics that is no longer in the show, um, there's nothing super problematic that they've written.
2: Yeah.
1: Um that said, they do seem much more interested in the problems of middle aged white men than
2: <laughs> you know
1: although they wrote One Ten in the Shade, which is I think, one of the better uh, mm-hmm. female-driven musicals written by two white men, or three, rather, with, um, the book writer, too. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the story of Celebration. But it doesn't really, without without actually hearing the music and, like, reading the text, you yeah. can't quite get a sense of what they were trying to do with the show. And I'm, I feel like I'm probably jumping the gun a little, but Celebration really is the show where... Um, Tom Jones took his interest in uh, ritual theater and Peter Brooks's kind of experimental holy theater and the Bread and Puppets Theater and said, I want to do this, but a Broadway musical.
0: Yeah. So the people gathered by the fire. They drank and sang and made up plays. They painted their faces and
3: in the blaze they waited, hoping for a sign.
0: That is the night when the bird will fly and away the light and it may be so. I just
1: don't know. Oh, I guess let's step back to Fantastics really quickly. Mm-hmm. If you look at Fantastics, the interesting thing that Tom Jones says about it is that he and Harvey Schmidt were working on it for years, and it was basically a typical 1950s musical. And um, then their friend Ward Baker, who directed the original production, said, hey, listen, I have the chance to direct a one-act musical at Barnard. And he said, I-, I don't want this. Like, can you revise it and throw it out? It has to be played on a bare stage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they threw out everything that they had worked on, and they basically wrote the whole show in a couple weeks in 1959. Mm-hmm. Um, and they obviously, like, at that point, they I don't think that they were trying to play around with experimental theater. They were just they they just were saying, you know, simplicity. Like the the simpler the better. Right. We'll get this to work if we do what is true to us.
0: Yeah. Um, and then they had the constraints of yes. needing it to be on the the bare stage and
1: yeah. yeah. and um and so I think that that's where you can kind of but you see that they but they both kind of gravitated towards that. Like yeah. they when they moved off Broadway, they could have spruced up at least the orchestrations or something because I believe on the original cast album they do uh, but the show itself was only ever I believe piano and harp maybe piano harp and bass Um, but when it was playing off Broadway it was only ever two or three pieces the show needs that it needs that kind of Mm -hmm. simplicity because it's a very direct show Uh, it's a show that doesn't hide anything from you I mean the main character comes out, El Gallo, comes out and sings Try to Remember at the top of the show, and that that immediately tells you what kind of show it is. Yeah. Like, it's a beautiful, a gorgeous song, it certainly deserves to be the standard that it is. It's a song that is supposed to evoke almost nostalgia, and, and yeah. I think it does. Like, musically, you can feel it. Um, and I think that the best parts of the Fantastics all Really want to evoke a specific emotional reaction, like not even—it's it's kind of a first love, but it's almost more like a memory of having that first love, mm-hmm. and and that's the lens that you're supposed to see the show through, and that's I think why audiences love it so much and why it was so successful. Um, Interesting, yeah. There's really no bad guy in the Fantastics, which I like a lot. The reason that we like that memory of the first love is because it reminds us of being young and full of passion and stupid but we're better now that that's behind us Mm -hmm. because we've learned from it and we now know what is lasting and what is truthful. Right. And so I think that that impulse, if we can just really quickly move through their Broadway shows after the Fantastics. Oh, yeah. One Ten in the Shade and I Do, I Do. um, Those two shows also, I think, really there's a directness especially in one Time in the shade a directness to the emotion in that show mm-hmm. it it is in many ways a typical m- mid60s Broadway musical um, but all of a sudden the show kind of shifts from being uh, a you know a yee-haw Broadway musical to, yeah. to being almost an opera hmm. like it's almost an aria um, this this woman has been driven at, the plot of the show is basically the music man. It's like a con man comes to town, and this, you know, quote-unquote old maid um, finds herself being attracted to him. But the difference is that in One Ten in the Shade, she doesn't go off with the con man. He just makes her realize that um, she was beautiful and worthy of love this whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she stays with the small-town man who was too... Um, Shy and emotionally damaged to be direct with his emotions to tell her, you know, hey, I I want to be with you Um, Because you know his his wife ran off on him, so he's like emotionally damaged from that Um, But at the end of the first act She's turned the con man down and he insults her and it shakes her to her core because she honestly believes That this is this could be her last chance at love and so the the vocal line of the song just Darts all over the place oh. and, and the lyrics uh, I, I i I will never forget the first time I heard she sings, My skin is on fire, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Um and and then the last lyric of the song is, Oh God, don't let me live and die alone.
3: My, is My skin is alive all over! It's to night and yet not a sign of rain. I'm <laughs> my posing to be on fire they're tying me up and burning me to the bar.
1: No other musical in 1963 that would have had a line like that.
2: Mm.
1: But no other Broadway musical, I should say. Yeah. Um, it's just that's not. I mean, you can kind of imagine Candor and Eb using that sentiment, but I mean, obviously, the, this was, I believe, before Florida the Red Menace*, so they weren't even really writing together. And also, they wouldn't have been quite as direct with it. Mm. Fred Ebb would have twisted it in some way, you know? Yeah. Um, And so, and and I Do, I Do, which I think is probably the weakest of their major works, um, there still is, like, an emotional directness. I just don't find the show itself to be particularly interesting.
0: What's the uh, kind of premise of that show? Uh,
1: Well, it, it does kind of harken back to... Jones and Schmidt finding that simplicity Mm -hmm. and it's basically about a couple, uh, in the original production it was Mary Martin and Robert Preston Mm -hmm. who played newlyweds up until old age Mm -hmm. and we just saw, they were the only two people in the show Mm. we just saw their lives progress together and they fought and they almost broke up and then they stayed together there's a um, a semi-standard from that show too, called uh, "My Cup Runneth Over," mm-hmm. which is a really a really pretty song, but it it, it does have kind of a middle-aged complacency to it, mm-hmm. um, just in the music.
3: Sometimes in the morning, when shadows are deep, I lie. Just watching you sleep and sometimes I whisper what I'm thinking of my cup run it over with a love.
1: It doesn't have that passion of young love that you hear in um like, soon it's gonna rain, like there's, soon it's gonna rain in the Fantastics just, there's a a tension in the whole thing, and it's, and it's great. But, the show itself was a big hit, I mean, obviously it had Mary Martin and Robert Preston, so that (laughs) didn't hurt. Um, The best, uh, Tom Jones I believe has said that the best number from that show was cut out of town in Philadelphia called Thousands of Flowers, Mm. in which, they reminisce about the beginning of their relationship. And that, to me, if you listen to that song, that song actually has real love and warmth and passion in it. Yeah. Um, but Gower Champion apparently couldn't, who directed and choreographed the original production, apparently couldn't figure out a way to stage it, so it was cut. Do you remember
2: When we first
3: It was growing dark near a flower market, and
2: you wore a rose in your hair. I
3: saw you smile there by my.
1: That kind of leads us to celebration. While they were writing these shows in the 60s, they wanted a theater of their own where they could do more experimental stuff that they were interested in.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and after they had these two Broadway hits, they had the clout and the money to go buy something. Right. And um, they did. And I can't tell you the address of it, but it's it's uh, the, the building itself is still in Midtown. Um, they don't own it anymore. Right. But it was called Portfolio, um, and they originally wrote Celebration There, mm-hmm. and it really did stem out of Tom Jones um, seeing this bread and puppet theater, yeah, and just finding something so meaningful in this ritual, but also finding it not completely satisfying. And, and this is yeah. actually where I'd like to read oh, a, yeah. a little bit. He, um, he wrote some notes Um, he says uh, he's talking about the the bread and puppets savagely symbolic but frozen attitudinized immobile, expectable the very opposite of man then I say no, and again no and once more no it will not do, a ritual theater yes, and puppets yes and bread and wine and sacraments and symbolic essences enacted for our own ennobling yes to all this but not without man, not without humanity, not without the individual soul. Incantation by all means, and ritual and prayer, dispense with stories, plots if they seem too comfortable. Avoid novelty, seek grace, have puppets, masks, the whole works. but for God's sake, please, not without man. And I think that that's, I think that that's what speaks to me about, yeah. about, particularly celebration, but also their later works, which we're about to get into. there is a there it's the same kind of searching for truth that I think you find in something like religion Mm -hmm. Um, and even if it's clumsy at times which you know a lot of musicals are clumsy at times
2: yeah
1: it's still straining for something more and you can see that even as far back as the Fantastics because if you think about it the Fantastics was written the same year that uh, Sound of Music and Fiorello were written, mm-hmm. and to to my mind, the Fantastics seems more modern than those shows. Those shows seem, you know, I I love old musicals, but those right. shows seem old to me. Those seem like '50s shows. Yeah. And the Fantastics doesn't necessarily have that to me.
0: It almost seems like just the way you're describing them. It almost seems like the experimental, like '1970s.
1: I think that the interesting thing about those shows Mm -hmm. is that they were more interested in the musical theater side of Mm -hmm. experimental musicals and Tom Jones was more interested in the experimental side of experimental musicals.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Because he obviously, it, it was all of these Influences of the uh, of all of these, you know, downtown theater scene, the off-Broadway theater scene of, at the time right. that he really wanted to bring to that. And when you think of a show like Company, which obviously is very was very experimental for its time, yeah, it it was experimental, but in very much in the vein of a Broadway musical, yeah, not not in the vein of a downtown you know, right, Peter like
0: show. it was experimental in like just how we're telling the story. There's still the characters are. People. Yeah. <laughs> the characters are—they um, act like real people and, and all that. Whereas, like, if you really get experimental, th- that all goes out the window. I think. <laughs> but um, at, this is also kind of just reminding me of like the description of Allegro and like how Hammerstein wanted to create a kind of an experimental musical with that. As I, well. Yeah,
1: I actually was thinking about Allegro and Love Life which was the Alan J. Lerner experimental musical that everyone mm-hmm. talks about um, but I will say that like viewed from a modern lens both those shows still seem very old fashioned by, yeah. by our current standards and I, I don't necessarily think that like the Fantastics has aged quite like that. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's tied to its time period in the same way that Allegro seems like a very 19... And I say this with all the Love in My Heart for Allegro, which I was the associate director on for the Astoria Performing Arts production oh, back okay. in 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was gorgeous. But it seems like a 40s show.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, I do want to talk about uh, Philemon. Yeah. Because uh, that was the next show that they wrote at Portfolio. And unfortunately, it's not very well known because they made a cast album but it it was recorded somehow it was recorded poorly I don't I could never quite find the details about this but Mm. what I do know is that neither Tom Jones nor Harvey Schmidt thought the sound quality of the album was good and so they have refused to release it on CD Mm. and it was only pressed very a limited amount in vinyl much like Celebration it starts out with a song that is sung directly to the audience that says you're about to see a show. Yeah. You are about to see actors reach back through history. Mm. Um, you're you're going to see people who are, and actually, this is a line in the in the opening number. It says, all everybody you're about to see is dead. They're all dead. They have been dead for 2,000 years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think that the line is something like, if there's any way that we can reach across the precipice of time, it's... Only within ourselves, yeah. and the song is called "Within This Empty Space." And so the actors are telling you, yeah, we're about to transform this bare stage, this empty space, into a time machine, which you will be transported back 2,000 mm-hmm. years to to be moved and to laugh at people who are now dust in Asia Minor. <laughs> Within this empty space, there is nothing we cannot do.
2: We can seek to create something great from the past, or search for something new. Within this empty
3: space, there are secrets to be revealed. So and emotions we long to feel flesh flesh if we wish it there are pleasures of the flesh just as much as we desire
1: so it's about this clown uh named cockian who was played by dick latessa in the original production and um he's not a good guy he uh he had a wife and a child uh I have to, I, and I will say that I've never seen this show, so I am not 100% on the story. But either his wife and child died or he left them,
2: yeah.
1: and uh, he's now performing for pennies in the streets. And he, I mean, it, it's not living a great life. Um, when a Roman centurion comes up to him and says, Listen, uh, we need to exterminate these Christians, um, and I will. I I will give you money and let you go wherever you want in the Roman Empire if you pretend to be this Christian leader named Philemon and infiltrate their group and give me all the dirt on how we can exterminate them. Hmm. And so what happens is he agrees and he goes into prison pretending to be Philemon and the love and kindness and generosity he's shown by all of the Christians and the respect, because he's never had respect, um, transform him. Mm-hmm. And, and the first act finale, he says, you know, that's, he, he, he says, I am Philemon now. I, I'm no longer copian. Wow. And um, it, we, it, the Roman centurion gets a little heavy-handed, um, it, he becomes pretty clearly a metaphor for fascism. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, eugenics because he says you know this Christian creed of loving everything is wrong and it will bring the end of the world he says you know if if something is too weak you should kill it we can't we can't afford to let the the poor people you know just give them food we can't afford to show love to everybody who needs it um, and Kakian is so transformed by what he's experienced that he he can't let go of it he says he says to the centurion I am I'm free now for the first time in my life I'm free and full of joy I I can't go back yeah. and the centurion says I, you I will kill you if you because if, you, if you're going to be Philemon he's a he's a Christian leader he will be executed and and Kakian says do it because this is, I this is the only true happiness I've ever known in my life. So that show to me, mm-hmm. in a way, is almost the most successful melding of ritual theater with musical theater with religion because yeah. he's getting right to the heart of what I, what as you know as someone who is religious myself, right. I think makes Christianity so powerful to me is the idea of, like, just love it mm-hmm. everyone, love everything, no matter what it's not a Christian play. Like, we would not have done that at my Christian right, school. Right. But I, I think it's interesting, like, that is kind of, it seems to be, in a way, Tom Jones' big takeaway from all of his work. It's like, love is the most important human attribute. Mm-hmm. You can find it that in The Fantastics, you can find it in all of their Broadway musicals, you can find it in Celebration, and in Philemon, it takes center stage. So after Portfolio closed, and they did one other show there called The Bone Room. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, as Tom Jones has put it, was about um, middle, uh, a middle-aged man going through menopause. <laughs>
2: um,
1: I, I have heard a bootleg of this. I, he doesn't want it done anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the York wanted to do it when they were doing the Jones and Schmidt musicals in Mufti, and Tom Jones said no. Uh, he said, I don't think that it works, and he mm. doesn't know how to fix it. Um, and I gotta say, I don't necessarily disagree with him. I think that there are definitely good songs in there. Um, they reused a bunch of the songs. Uh, at least, Harvey Schmidt reused a bunch of the melodies. Um, but one song, they dropped right into their next show, which was Colette. Um, Colette originally starred Diana Rigg
2: mm-hmm. and
1: closed out of town. Uh, if you know anything about the show, that's what we all know. It, it closed out of town, and it was a major I would I, I, I don't know if I would say a major setback for them, but it seems like it was because well, they doesn't didn't really look like they
0: have any Yeah, they else didn't really
1: do <laughs> any other Broadway shows after that. Um, they kind of spent the next decade reworking Colette. Colette Collage, I like it. Don't get me wrong, I like it. I think that there's a lot of good songs in it, a lot of great music. Um, I don't know that I've never seen it. Maybe if I saw it I would feel better about it, but I think the book I've, which I've read, is very thin,
2: mm-hmm. and I,
1: I don't know that I would get a lot out of it other than, oh, those are some really lovely songs. You know, they've, they've written some other shows, but I, I think that it's safe to say that they are minor. Moret um, mm-hmm. Mar- and Roadside, uh, the the show goes on is a uh, review, yeah. uh, which I did actually see that at the York, and it was very enjoyable. Um, I think that they've actually written, they wrote some great stuff before they ever had uh, written the Fantastics. They wrote some great standalone oh, stuff. Nice. They, um they There was recently a CD release called Jones and Schmidt Hidden Treasures. Oh, yeah. Which I I do recommend if you're a fan of their work. Um, I think that it has some really fun early novelties that they wrote together. Um, But the other show that they've spent the 80s working on is Grover's Corners.
0: Right. I'm super excited to talk about this one. Which
1: I I did say to Shoshana. I said, I want to talk to you about this because you are the biggest Thornton Wilder fan that I know.
0: Yes. Um, I'm a big Th- Thornton Wilder fan. It's true that this is a musicalization of oh. Thornton Wilder's play *Our Town*.
1: Yes. Spoiler alert for *Our Town*: if you if you <laughs> don't know that show, yeah. uh, Emily does die in the second act, mm-hmm. and um, uh, she is told that she can go back and live any day in her life, and she decides to live her tenth birthday over again, and it it's too much for her because she's the only person who is can understand and see all the things that life is. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's her It's her 12th birthday.
1: 12th birthday, thank you.
0: I'm, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <them. laughs>
1: and so after that, she's like, oh, well, I guess I see why all these dead people are just sitting here and waiting to fade away rather than reliving their life um, because it's too painful. And um, George comes and starts singing a reprise of I only want someone to love me at her grave. Mm. And she looks at him and she says, he doesn't understand, does he? And and um, Mrs. Webb says, "No, they don't. None of them do. Other and other than what's that famous line? Other than poets,
0: saints, and poets. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but Emily does. So the problem with Grover's Corners
2: <laughs> is
1: that the play Our Town. I, I think Shoshana and I will both agree that it is an uh, almost perfect play, if not completely perfect. Um, it's it's hard." It's very hard to imagine musicalizing the play without damaging it in a certain way. Yeah. Um, particularly that the last scene is so ambiguous in many ways. Mm-hmm. And one thing that music is not good at is giving ambiguity to a situation. Um, yeah. Emily has this gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous song called Goodbye World, which makes me sob. Yeah. But. It's not really right because should we should we be feeling that way at that moment? I don't think I I have a feeling that Thornton Wilder would not have wanted that to be a big grab by the gut sob moment in the in the show Um, because Emily is serious when she says goodbye, world. She says goodbye to clocks ticking, you know, all all of that stuff. She's she's done with it. Like
0: it's like a practical
1: yeah. And like, it's not yeah. a, it's not a. Oh, I'm gonna miss you so much. It's like a, well, good goodbye, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, as great as that song is, it just, I think, sentimentalizes mm-hmm. the play mm-hmm. in a way that it, it is not helpful.
0: There's the song. I think you may, you mentioned it. Time.
1: Time, Time goes, goes, goes by. by.
0: That one I listened to, and it, it felt, that one felt very much of the world. Yeah,
1: I think that is. One of the best songs in the show.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the stage manager sings it. Ah.
0: Uh,
1: um, okay. And uh, it's it is that song. I think is kind of matter of fact. It's like, uh-huh. you know, time goes gliding by, and then you and I are dead and gone. Yeah. Like it's it it's not that song. I think is is good. It's not a sad song. It's a song about the inevitability of the human race. You know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> And up here on the hill, there's the place that's soft and still, where the mountain laurel grows beneath the trees. And the first thing you know, here we each of us must go, and we'll watch those flowers grow.
0: It sounds like, though, that they, Jones and Schmidt, would be, like, the perfect people to musicalize uh, our town, just from, like, their sensibilities of what they have had written before and like they're leaning toward like the experimental because Wilder was really into that you know experimental type uh, theatricality
1: I I agree but I also think that sometimes when something seems like obviously good Uh it can turn out to not be good you know Mm. it's always the the little odd choices that make the best Mm. ideas
0: I mean and talking about some of their shows like we start with like a stage, and this stage is the the portal to. I mean, that sounds so Thornton Wilder. Yeah, <laughs> you can yes, you can and definitely gonna, see why. And we're gonna start with like 50 million years ago and <laughs> or whatever the. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, you can definitely see why they wanted to do it. I do want to talk about. We have uh, other composers and lyricists who have merged ritual theater and traditional oh, yeah. Well, Broadway.
0: Yeah, let's talk about. Yeah, there's
1: yeah. one song in particular that I want to talk about. Uh-uh. Um, that really made me it brought me back to the idea of religion as theater mm-hmm. um, and honestly it, this is probably another musical that if people don't know me they'll think that it's weird that I love <laughs> but um, it was in Passing Strange ah. when I saw Passing Strange and it was the number of keys in Passing Strange it really leans into the, the idea that rock is not good at telling a story but what it is good at is allowing the people playing it and the people singing Mm -hmm. to commune with the audience to create a mood and environment in a way that like a Jerry Herman uh, you know 2-4 show tune does not Mm -hmm. Uh, you know Jerry Herman's songs you know tell stories they they relate character but you don't you don't Meld with the performer as they're singing one, right? And that's exactly what Sue knew that Rock could do, and what he did in Keys. Mm. I, I, so I saw the show seven times. Uh, the last time yeah. I saw it was the final performance, and that song just went on and on. They, mm. he, he ran into the audience, and there's there's a groove towards the end of the song yeah. that basically they could just keep going for as long as they wanted, and and the audience was feeding off it, and it was like reading Tom Jones's note, it was like communion, like it was like a giant ritual experience.
0: Let's move on to our next section, which is why is this so good? And we are gonna talk about the song I Said It and I'm Glad from the musical Subways Are for Sleeping, which was Comden and Green and Julie Stein way back in, what year was it? I think 66,
1: 65?
0: Yeah. It was mid-60s. 60s. So, yeah, why did you choose this song for Why Is This So Good?
1: Well, this is talk about for something completely different. Um, it is very much a 1960s brassy show tune. Mm-hmm. That said, um, like let's uh, talk about emotional directness. Like, I have to say that I don't know that I've ever heard another musical theater song that encapsulates the pure joy mm-hmm. of falling in love the way that this song does. Yeah.
0: That's that's if I were to like boil it down to one tiny word, it would be joy. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it's it's I, I think that probably this is more I, I love Common and Green. Mm-hmm. I think that they do relatively good work in this song, but I think that it's really Julie Stein doing the, the lion's share of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, the music just, it seems like it's, it's the oral equivalent of a pot of water simmering and simmering, and then it just bubbles over. Like, it, it yeah. just starts boiling. It can't help itself.
0: <laughs> yeah, it blo- there's even the line in here, I'll blow my top. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to spell out my feelings
3: or I'll blow my top. Here goes now how can I say you and me could it be Run a flag up a flagpole and see if it starts to flutter churn up some cream and then see if it turns to butter
1: The, the great thing about this song so I, it's a you know it's an A-A-B-A mm-hmm. number after after the verse, which the verse is the album I do. But, you know, it's got the the two A sections and then the bridge and then the last A section. Yeah. And um, it's really, he does, Julie Stein does such a great job of keeping the lid on
2: Mm -hmm. throughout
1: the entire number until the very last two lines. It's, and and by the time we get up to those last two lines, you are right there along with the character. You... the lyric is gotta burst out gotta shout it or I'll start going mad and you feel the same way like the the song has to go there right it has to go to I love you Um,
0: yeah and then once you do that it's over (laughs) because because that's where that's where you end up yeah yeah (laughs) there's nowhere to go after that (laughs)
1: yeah Um, but yeah it really it it, I can't I remember the first time I heard this song and I was like this is a masterpiece like Mm -hmm. it's not not necessarily in terms of great character writing, but it is a masterpiece in capturing that emotion, like how, yeah. how the, just that feels in a way that, that you know, I, I said it was time for something completely different, but honestly it's not too dissimilar from something like Old Maid mm-hmm. in 110 in the Shade and how that so also brilliantly captures a completely different emotion.
0: What I really like about um, this lyric er, is that it's, it's not just the I love you, but it's about saying I love you to someone for the first time, and like kind of the like there's fear in that too. Oh yeah. There's like, you know, they say, uh, you know, I'm I'm testing it out. You know, I'm I'm just sending up a trial balloon, yeah. and testing out the atmosphere. But like, if I don't say it, like, like I can't. Yeah. There's continue no, there's no other
1: option. Yeah. Like yeah. I
0: can't continue in a state <laughs> where I don't where I don't say it. Drop a pebble in water
3: And see if the ripples gather Whip up some soap suds And see if it makes a ladder I'm just sending up a balloon, Testing out the atmosphere If I don't get some reaction soon Guess I'll have to be more clear Oh, what the hell What's to say? Gotta go all the way Take the chance, take the plunge Find out which way the wind is blowing No use to hide what's inside Now my heart is showing Gotta burst out, gotta shout it Or I'll start going my
1: gotta say this on Mike so upset that they cut this song when they did <laughs> Are For sleeping at the york um because i think that there's just there really is a lot here
0: yeah
1: um i however i will say though "Subways Are For sleeping had a famously troubled production mm-hmm. um carol lawrence and sydney chaplin who played the lead roles hate apparently hated each other mm-hmm. um and according to the liner notes of the finsworth alley cd release uh this song was cut uh when it opened on Broadway. Hmm. This song and one of Sidney Chaplin's songs were both cut.
0: Do you know why? Does it say why?
1: Uh, apparently they hated each other and audiences could tell and they hated the <laughs> character. I'm, I'm, I mean, that's, wow. that's pretty much the case. Like audiences, I, I guess in the show, audiences loved the secondary characters uh-huh. who were played by Orson Bean and Phyllis Newman. And I believe Phyllis Newman won the Tony for it? Or? Yeah. And um, they loved those characters, so those roles were beefed up and they hated the two main characters. So uh, they they cut some of their songs.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess that's understandable, but this just as like an isolated song, Yeah, like I just feel like if I were seeing this in a theater, it would have that wonderful like uplift that you get when like someone's singing that kind of song where it's just like so much joy and it it builds like that. And if you had two leads, two actors who didn't hate each other, then (laughs) you could have this put the songs back in. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Well, and at the York, the two actors who played these parts were actually married.
0: Oh, well, then there you go. Yeah. Then, unless they were... Uh, it was the, it, uh, <laughs> the director
1: told me it was his touristic of the song, so... Oh. Um, but, you know, I'm uh, he's the director, but I disagree.
0: <laughs> yeah. and then there's, like, a tap section in it, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, which,
1: on... which is so musical theatery, Like, yeah. that's what I love about it. Like you know, I obviously we we're just talking about experimental stuff and like crazy stuff, which I also love. But yeah, I I'm I just I love the essence of just you know I can't help my I'm feeling my emotions so strongly I have to break out and song and dance. Yeah, and it's like the <laughs> it the, it just feels so natural um, in right. this in this moment. It's like of course this character would start tap dancing in the <laughs> middle of the song.
0: Yeah, but and it's also like on that. B section. I'm sending up a trial balloon, and like it's like almost like I'm tap tap tapping around this. Like I'm gonna say it, but I'm not doing it quite yet. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and
1: um, I, uh, great orchestrations. I, I don't know who did the orchestrations, mm-hmm. but um, it, that after that testing out the atmosphere, you get yeah. that great uh, blast of the brass, like oh, bum yeah. bum bum. If and then you're back to the soft shoe. I don't. don't Da, da, mm-hmm. da, da. And then you've got the um, the the trumpets coming again with
3: pow pow.
1: It's yeah. it's so great.
3: Yes, I'm just sending up a trial balloon, testing out the atmosphere. If I don't get some reaction. What the heck? What's to say? You gotta go all away. Take the chance, take the plunge. Find out which way the wind is blowing. No use to hide what's inside. Now my heart is showing. Gotta burst out, gotta shout it. My heart's not going mad. I love you.
0: Let's move on to our final section, something wonderful. So what upcoming or current musical theater shows, books, events are we excited about?
1: I work for a theater called Royal Family Productions and um, I think that we, we do some really interesting work there. We h- highlight women and people of color, um, mm-hmm. both on stage and as writers. And we don't do a ton of musicals because as, as you know, musicals are expensive. Right. Uh, but we do do some. Um, we uh, did a musical called Rock and Roll Refugee uh, this past year as a benefit, and we did um, a, a musical written by our associate artistic director called Yumi We, which also uh, NAP National Asian Artist National Asian Artist Project just did a thirty-minute segment from as part of their new and upcoming works. Oh, nice. So hopefully, it will keep moving forward because yeah. I think it's a really great show
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and yeah I, uh, written by Jessica Wu who's our associate artistic director
0: thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song please write to us at scene to song at gmail.com at any time with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater or if you'd like to be a podcast guest Follow Scene to Song on Twitter at Scene Song, as well as on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. And be sure to rate us on iTunes, review, subscribe, and share it with your friends. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode. Yeah.